Yeah, so the weather's really weird out, isn't it? Like, why is it 50 degrees after Christmas? <sighs> it's sweater weather right now. Oh, I was really hoping to have a white Christmas this year. Sometimes I forget that Sophia was in the military. Treat. We had a little snow, but it didn't stick. Maybe no, sweaters, especially wool sweaters, always yeah, made me well, feel really itchy. Something, something, climate change, something else, why is it getting colder? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. It only comes up, like, Chinese sometimes. takeaway dinner. It was pretty good. I noticed... I don't envy shepherds, though. Did you know that shepherds used to be susceptible to anthrax infections? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering, is there just one person... One company that's just absolutely crushing it. I think you'd agree with me, though, that military spending in this country is out of control. And I bet there is. Yeah, I, I cooked at home. I, I made Hot Pockets. Um, uh, it, it caused this, like, really gross leathery scab to appear, like, on their neck and armpits and everything. Put, uh, everything bagel seasoning on top of them. Wow, that sounds really good. Like explosives, for example, the U.S. spends so much on explosives that they are the largest purchaser of explosives in the world. Odd question that I'm curious your thought of. Don't hear that in Zootopia, which is a Disney movie I, I really like. Hibernate. Uh, so my the second place is somehow Walt Disney Corporation. I also know that captivity changes a lot of biological functions. That reminds me, Disney is the world's second largest purchaser of explosives. I would be very interested to find out. Yeah, I live next to a zoo. Welcome to Off the Film Path. Here we review and discuss movies that, for better or for worse, are less known to the general public. Today we are discussing 2009's The Informant. I'm Kyle. And I'm Sophia. Ay, 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 this yeah. is a... This is a movie. This certainly is a movie. <sighs> I'll say up top, this is going to be a tricky one to talk about because a lot of the scenes are basically the same. Yeah, I describe this as... The worst Coen Brothers movie. It's made by Steven Soderbergh of Ocean's 11 and 12 fame, as Kyle pointed out to me before we started. This movie is very linear, but also weirdly not. Yeah, I get that. The narration, like, so, so this is narrated a lot by the main character, Mark Whitaker. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <sighs> so the narration really breaks the linearity of the movie in a way that makes it very difficult to watch and even more difficult to talk about. And still, we will try. Professionalism, baby. That's what we hey, do Hey, don't here. you put that on me. <laughs> Look, you may not be, but I certainly am. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we start with a little fun opener that says, hey, this is, uh, this is based on real events. But, you know, some stuff's been a little changed, dramatized, so there. And it's like, okay. Yeah, so this movie, this fucking movie, is tagged comedy on YouTube, which is where I went to watch it because I am basic. No, I think probably the so there title card was maybe the funniest thing in the movie. No, there's one other thing that I found extremely funny, but oh, like... Yeah. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. But there's a few moments that are humorous in this movie, but it's like very subtle. 
Yeah, which is another thing where I was like, ah, this Cohen brothers ass bullshit. It's highbrow. Yes. A kind of typical intro montage where you see some stuff happening. You don't see people and it's just the credits, whatever. Yeah. But they're making tapes. And I was like, what year is this that they're ma- using physical tape? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> well, you say that, but in things where acquisition of up-to-date hardware is either extremely expensive or impractical in any other way, old hardware still gets used, like, a lot. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, footage of the space shuttle launch or landing. The computers in the space shuttle up until, like, what was the, when was the last space shuttle flight? It was, like, 2013 or something. The computers okay. were still 70s era. Like, they really? still used the big pizza box floppy disks to load programs into the space shuttle. So, spy gear, you know, if it works, it works. Okay. Okay. We also see from this opening credits, star-studded cast. Yes. A lot of people are in this fucking movie. I make at least six notes throughout my document saying, like, is it that actor? <laughs> yeah, buddy. And I will bring them up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's fun to see, like, it's fun to see, like, a lot of really good actors contributing to what is meant to clearly be a highbrow comedy. Yeah. So we start with Mark, our main guy, driving his kid and telling him about all the things that Corn is in. And yeah, he's right. It's in everything. So we find out that Mark is a senior biochemist for Archer Daniels Midland Corporation. So when he said that their competitor was DuPont, I was like, does he work for fucking Monsanto? <laughs> Close enough. Uh, but it turns out another company. Yeah, an- another company with a hmm, checkered past. Yeah, but Monsanto doesn't exist anymore. I found that out. Yeah, no, you're technically correct. It doesn't it got acquired. exist anymore. It got acquired. And you know what? That actually kind of, that statement right there, it doesn't exist anymore because it got acquired, parenthetical, is kind of like, we're going to come back to it in analysis because that's a key, like, that kind of, you know, this thing. Yeah, that framing is applicable to why this movie is such a stone cold bummer. So, yeah, okay, we'll note that and come back to it. But uh, yeah, so we find out we're in 92, I think. Yeah, 91 or 92. I initially thought it said 82, and then, like, most of the rest of the movie takes place in, like, the 90s. So I was like, oh, no, that definitely said 92. So, yeah, I first, like, developed permanent memories that I can still recall to this day around 1992. And obviously those memories are contextual and, like, not very sharp. But, yeah, that's not, that looks about right. Yeah. We find out there's a problem at the plant that this, what what would you call yeah. it? So, so what's happening here is that Mark is in charge of bringing lysine as a nutritional product to the market, but they're having trouble with their bioreactors. They're not able to produce enough lysine to meet the expected projected fixed demand. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? Uh, uh, we'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> so yeah, there is apparently 
a virus that is killing the yeast that are producing this lysine. Yes. And he's trying to tell his bosses, and they're like, don't tell me there's a problem. Tell me you're taking care of it. I'm like, that's so fucking middle management. Except they're not middle management now that I say that out loud. They're the top guys. They are senior management. Yeah, these are these are almost, these are directly underneath C-suite kind of managers. Mark is a senior VP at Archer Daniels Midland now. He's relatively junior in that position. Right. So he is being shown how, you know, to be a senior VP, essentially. And so after this, he gets a call from Japan. And then immediately, we don't hear what the call said, but immediately he goes back into his boss's office and says, the Japanese know everything. And they say it's because there's a mole and they're willing to sell out the mole for, and, and, and the boss is like, all right, how much? $10 million in 1991 money. It goes a lot further. Yeah. What threw me off though, is they said they've been losing 7 million per month for at least three months. You're already down 21 21. million. So it's like, if you don't get this figured out, you're going to be down probably another 21. 10 is the better option. (laughs) It is. It's only a month and a half's losses, but also like that doesn't mean that you can fix it. But yeah. So like the call from the top is, Negotiate them down, see how low they'll go, and (laughs) we'll come back to it. (laughs) So, Kyle? (laughs) Yeah. The next thing we see, I think, is that ADM has got the FBI involved because it's a foreign company that's messing with them. Yeah? I think that's right. I feel like that would not be the appropriate, like, agency, but you know what? doesn't matter. Yeah. The FBI is far more intimidating than the Federal Trade Commission will ever be. Yeah. Or what? whoever would be the appropriate arbiters. Uh-huh. I think there's a thing at the house where he's talking with his family. I truly don't care. Yeah, like, he's, he's very clearly, like, single-minded in, like, bringing lysine to market. And, like, I guess his wife was, was talking about, like, oh, we, we just built stables across the street. And I was just like, okay, I I already fuck this guy, fuck this guy. But yeah. yeah, so not not starting off at a place where you can really sympathize with him or empathize, I should say. You can't empathize with this clown. No. So he's doing very well for himself. He's he's bringing or he's single minded in his determination to bring this product to market to the exclusion of giving a shit about what his family's talking about. Well, he cares about his family. I just don't care about his family. <laughs> I don't know that he does necessarily. No, but he pays lip service to it. Yeah. Well, and, so, and therein is a, you know, an interesting thing. But yeah. So so moving along, because holy shit, we just do not have time. Actually, I made a note here that like was fucking prescient for the rest of the movie. Oh, yeah? I said, considering how much Mark thinks about mundane minutia, I'm wondering if this role helped Matt Damon get the role in The Martian. Yeah, the role as Mark Watney. Oh my fucking god. Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> Oi. Yeah, so I feel like there might have been some stuff in there. Yes. <laughs> we meet Biff Tannen. Biff Tannen's in this movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh god, everyone in this movie fucking sucks. By which I mean the actor who played Biff Tannen, not a character who acts like Biff Tannen. Yeah, so remind me. 
I don't know the guy's name. Oh, is it the is it the boss's kid who's also a senior fucking VP? No, it's the guy who's going to be interfacing with the FBI. Chevron oh, or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, that fucking guy. His name is Bill Chevron? Yeah. It's spelled goofy, so, like, not as... It sounds like a code name. Like, it is the most code name ass surname in the world, but it's spelled funny. So, like, sure. Yeah. Mark, like, very clearly does not want to be involved and we will find out that this is complete hogwash. We'll also find out why Mark desperately does not want to be involved. Yeah. We meet our FBI agent, who's going to be our main guy, and it's Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula! Haven't seen him since Star Trek. The worst generation. Oh yeah, people <laughs> really did not like his. No. Part. He was also on Chuck. Oh, uh, was he? Yeah, he plays Chuck's dad. Oh, that's right. I haven't seen Chuck in forever. God, neither have I, but Chuck's a, Chuck's a great show that had, like, a lot of sci-fi actors come in, like, Carrie Ann Moss shows up. That's true. Fuck Adam Baldwin. Oh, yeah, Adam Baldwin. They also have spy people, like Chevy Chase. <laughs> Two episodes, baby. Hell yeah. That, okay, that show was great. Not what we're talking about. However, my next... Yeah. Note is, I like this spy-ass music. Yeah, I tried my best to pay attention to the ambiance, and, like, I just couldn't get there. Mm-hmm. So, spy-ass music, I will I will definitely have to, I'll take your word on that one. Yeah. So, Mark is talking with Scott Bakula, whose character's name is Brian Shepard, as well as Mr. Biff Tannen, and they've agreed that they will tap a line at Mark's house where he talks to the Japanese. Yeah, so this is the first place we get a sense of what exactly is Mark's discomfort with all of this, because he clears up to the FBI that, or to uh, Biff, is it to the FBI or to Biff? Doesn't matter. That he like, no, they're not calling his home line. He has an ADM line in his home, and that's what they call and this is the first sense that, like, okay, Mark's got some stuff going on, and it's confusing and potentially purposefully obtuse. Yeah. I think there's a scene at Mark's house where this is happening, and we learn a bl- little bit more about Mark. He's got some baggage, it seems. Yeah, and Mark's long-suffering wife, who she doesn't matter, the, the most important thing she does in the entire movie is what she's just about to do right now, which is she says to him, Mark, if you don't tell them while they're here, I'm going to. And Mark is, you know, about to to let the FBI agent leave after he's done putting a a tap on his phone. And she calls out Brian's name and and sends Mark over to talk to him about the thing. Which, considering what we know by the end of the movie, I'm so curious what his wife was going to say. I mean, I guess some of some of it wasn't a lie. Uh, it was... So, as a reformed criminal mastermind, all the best lies have a tinge of truth to them. Right. Which is why Mark is a terrible liar. But, so yeah, we find out that the, the thing that Mark's wife wanted him to talk to the FBI about is a massive, industry-wide price-fixing scheme on 
in his case, lysine. And now price fixing in this instance is a financial crime because ostensibly you could set the price low, but in reality, you never set the price too low. You set the price too high so that everybody gets a little extra money. So that's apparently what's happening. Is that in violation of trust law or something else? It's it's not quite antitrust stuff. It's because it, it's... Goes against the free it market. Kind of, yeah, it, it kind of is. It's a violation of, of, you know, how capitalism is supposed to work. But I mean, the tendency towards monopoly, or in this case, oligopoly, is a noted feature of capitalism. And oligopoly leads to monopoly. That's just how that works. So we're just seeing capitalism do what capitalism do. One thing I want to point out, just because it ha- it had another actor I recognized, there's a very short scene where they're, Mark and his wife are at dinner with someone. The actor they're with is Scott Adsit of 30 Rock fame. Oh, yeah. He comes back a little later, too. This literally does not matter until the very end, and even then, it barely matters. Yeah. So, not worth saying anymore, but Scott Adsit is also technically in this movie. That is true. Scott Adsit. In this and in 30 Rock, he plays a man who is not in control. Like I said, not worth harping on. More time at the office. Oh, hey, before you continue, I do want to say I just Googled it and Archer Daniels Midland agreed to pay $100 million in the largest criminal antitrust fine in history. So it is an antitrust issue. Hey. Good job. (laughs) I don't remember what prompted this, but... I said something about ADM looking out for their own interests. Oh, it's because they didn't want to cooperate with the FBI. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Here's the part that I thought was funny. Mark is definitely going to work with the FBI. Mm-hmm. And he gets a call from Shepard. And he's like, his bosses are in the room with him. So he has to play it. Cool. Yeah. He has cool. to play yes. it like it's it's just a random call. Anyway, he finishes up the call. Hangs up and goes, now what do I do if this shepherd guy calls? And that was the other joke that I thought was funny. That was that was cute, but also like good tradecraft. Okay. So, I mean, there you're building a false connection. So like, even if at some point they were like, wait, was that shepherd on the phone? And you're like, no, 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 you're just confused. I mentioned shepherd directly after the call. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I also noted Matt Damon plays very smart characters. He does play very smart characters. He also has a habit of this particular one. This motherfucker is very deeply flawed in a lot of ways. And I don't want to spill the beans just yet, but no, 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 no. Yeah. So, so it's obvious pretty early on that, that Mark is excited to work with the FBI and like he meets Shepard's boss, Joel McHale. Yeah. So what is that guy's name? I mean, like, his character's name. His character? Oh, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Yeah, so so eventually they, they, they pull Mark in and they're like, all right, well, we want you to, you know, like, you say there's this, you know, price-fixing scheme going on. We need evidence of it. We, we need you to wear a wire. And Mark is like, yeah, absolutely. And then they go, wait a second, hold on a second. Hold the fuck on just a second. What are you getting out of this, Mark? Yeah, Bob. So... Joel McHale's character is FBI Special Agent Robert Herndon, Bob. So, yeah, they, they stop and they're like, wait a second. What are you getting out of this? And he's like, 
he tells this story about how he's like uh, an orphan. His parents died in a car accident. He was like adopted by very rich people. And it was such, you know, it was a good, it was, it was he broke lucky and, and he, you know, got where he was the honest way and he wants to keep it honest. When a businessman tells you that, you should automatically be skeptical, but okay. I mean, you could argue at this point he's not a businessman. He's a biochemist, but... He's a senior VP. He's a businessman. Yeah, he also points out at some point, he's like, no, I know the science and I know the business. Yeah, there it is. That's when we learn more of his true motivations. It comes across as like, you know, he's really, really excited to do this, almost as if it's like fulfilling a childhood fantasy. Yes. Or, or just like, you know, a midlife crisis kind of thing, which, I mean, we spoke about how midlife crises are bullshit, but, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes dudes get bored with, you know, business. And even if, you know, the business is largely criminal and want to do something covert. There was, oh God, I forgot what I wrote, but it was like, I don't know if Mark is paranoid or if he just has like this crazy imagination. So actually, I would say that listening so i've mentioned in passing before that i have a bunch of friends who have paranoid schizophrenia this sounds an awful lot like their inner monologue like it's very free associative the difference being that mark doesn't construct his reality based on the free associations that that you know his his mental his mental wanderings kind of create okay but it does it does very strongly like it feels like this is disordered thinking Okay. Extremely distracted at the very least. We're half an hour in, and this strongly feels like the movie's about to wrap up. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, we've shown that they're doing illegal shit. And hey, look, if it wrapped here, this would be an excellent goddamn movie. We should also point out, the thing with the extortion completely dropped at this point. Yeah, like, and people are starting to be like, hey, wait a second, what happened with that extortion thing? Or like not yet, but but you know, it, people people have noticed that it's just not a thing anymore. And all of the Japanese competitors are like willing to get in a room with ADM and continue to fix prices, presumably while they're still sabotaging ADM's ability to manufacture the stuff whose price they're currently trying to fix. Ridiculous. I noted here. There's a lot of what I refer to as thirty second scenes in this movie. Yeah, this it has a, a Glengarry Glen Ross vibe to it a little bit. Oh my god, please don't bring up that movie. I I'm sorry. I don't like it either. I hate it in fact, but like it does have that like really flash 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 serious talking asshole asshole asshole. Yeah. But also, one of these, I don't know if it happens yet, but I do not remember where it happens is marked at lunch with actor Andy Daly. Playing, I don't remember who, doesn't matter. And he goes, hey, can you write down a name for me? Oh, uh, yeah, okay. So this character is a protege of Mark's that he actually got hired on for an inflated salary. Oh, yeah. Like almost half of what I'm making over what he should be making to start. So this guy Like a 50% Mark. increase over... Yeah, so like he asked for 50 and Mark brought him on for 75. Yeah. So he's making 25 over what he should be making, which is roughly half of what I make per year. Yeah. The reason I bring this up, again, shows up and then kind of just disappears for a while. Yeah. 
Yeah. Just like, so, so yeah, it, it comes back up at the end to sort of like, you have to pay really close attention to what he's doing because otherwise you'll lose the thread and this will seem like it doesn't matter. It needed a reminder. This, the, the big flaw <laughs> in this movie is that it takes the rule of threes and is like, yeah, but what if we do a rule of twos? <laughs> but that that's also what makes this movie like kind of hard to track in this setting. Yeah, because people fuck off and do a thing and then it comes back up at the end. What the fuck is even happening? I don't I don't know, man. This is so hard to follow. So like, I guess okay. Okay, okay, I have something. Go for it. We've reached a point where Mark's done some stuff and like I said, the movie feels like it's basically done. Mm-hmm. The FBI is like, okay, we need to do a few more things. And Mark's like, no, but everything's changed. They became ethical suddenly. And it's like, no, they fucking didn't, you fucking liar. And like the FBI agents are like, Mark, what are you talking about? That's, come on, that's insane. And Mark manages to lie his, I want to remind everybody that this is based on a true story. Mark manages to lie his way into convincing the FBI that the game on the ground, as far as price fixing is concerned, has changed. So yeah, the game has changed, and everybody is all ethical in Asia now. So they kind of switch their focus to Europe. And so we see him like making tapes with you know some French businessmen, and apparently there's a thing with the Swedes that we don't ever see any Swedish people doing. I think we skipped a little bit. Oh, did we? There's the part where they're at the motel and he has to take a polygraph. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right. So the the FBI do not believe that East Asia, like, just cleaned itself up because, you know, Mark says so. So he's like, all right, what do I have to do to prove it to you guys? So they hook him up to a polygraph, which Mark makes the salient point later that polygraphs are not reliable. It's like, what, 60% or like 40? Somebody once wired up a potted plant to a polygraph and got a lie out of it. So (laughs) this is not good technology, but this was also 1991 before we were like really aware that this was not good technology. But yeah, Mark fails big time. Yeah. Let's see. He makes a point that ADM will not look out for him if anything goes down because he's not the top level person. And he's absolutely correct. And he's also yep. like, I don't know about the government. I don't know if they're going to protect me. And he's also correct. <laughs> yep, probably not. So he is, you know, understandably nervous, which, by the way, will make you fail a polygraph whether you're telling the truth or not. Yeah. He also comes clean about some lies that he's been telling. Do you remember which ones in this part? I think it's the thing about the mole. Yeah, he says that there never was a mole, which, duh. It was another thing that I don't remember exactly what it was, though. I think it might have been like, no, the practices have not stopped, which is what he had been claiming. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, he recanted that the East Asia cleaned up and he recanted that there was ever a mole. It's a thing it's like, he There made might up. have been. It's like, Mark, that's not. Yeah, okay. So so he does this thing that like bad liars do where he he tries to like, soften the blow of having to come clean by going like well yeah there's been moles and like oh shit fuck up man is there a mole now or not that you know that's what i was asking and you know that the answer is no it's just so hard to listen to him (laughs) 
God, I had to walk away from this movie so much. I've been trying to watch this movie twice for two weeks now. But yeah, so so from there... We get a scene of him in the office, and he's walking next to someone and saying like, Hey, did you talk to our competitors in Asia? Yeah, just like... So, so I will say that, you know, tradecraft is hard. It's a thing you get better at with practice. And just like any, you know, acquired skill, you suck at first. And Mark sucks hard. How Mark did not get made is beyond me. I have to assume it's because other people thought very low of him. Which, given his appearance in this movie, his choice in ties. I mean, granted, this is 92, so like, take that as it will. But like, his general appearance and his attitude... Typically, yeah, he seems like he's a bit of a pushover in a very sharky environment. A couple things I know. We move we move very quickly because, again, so much of this is the same that it's not worth commenting yeah. everything. But there's a part where he's talking on a phone with a wire next to Agent Shepard. And Shepard sneezes into his hand. And Mark's like, that's uh, so disgusting. And I'm like, yep, I agree. Yeah, but also he goes on this narrative diatribe about how like oh, okay so i mean that's that's it that's the whole game so you catch a bug on a plane and then you you know sneeze into your hand it's on your hand it's in your eyes it's in my eyes it's in my mouth and i'm probably going to get what you've got and i'll spend the weekend sick and i'll miss a couple of days of work and you know maybe i have to take a and then my kids maybe get sick and who pays for that huh does the what is the fbi's policy on that i'm just like dude it's a day of work fuck off and then he sees some ants and starts thinking about ants yeah he's like well this is a score and i think that is something that i missed in my watch throughs but now that i'm talking about it feels important like he he notes while he's preparing to wear a wire for the fbi he notes that you know when you have the opportunity for a score like there's no moral gray areas there's no time to consider the implications or consequences you go for it and so mark goes for it (laughs) yeah we get a little thing of him talking with someone who works at his house like a grounds person that he's hired yes no i don't recall this and he's like i'm gonna be working for the fbi i'm gonna be a secret agent Oh, yeah, Mark yeah. Whitaker, 0014. And he goes, why 0014? And he's like, because I'm twice as smart as 007. It's like, fuck you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. The fact that he's, like, riding high on this, I'm like, oh, you're not I well. Mean, there's, I will say that there, you know, when you when you get to do stuff that, like, most people legally can't know about, there is a certain level of, like, it's cool. It's interesting, but also it hinges on you not telling people about it, Mark. Yes, it's what we here at Off the Film Path would refer to as an epic poggers moment. <laughs> <laughs> Do we? I no. so I am. I am probably We're both gamers. Little, yeah, but I'm also a little old to be using the word poggers unironically. I I only learned how grammatically to use that word like three weeks ago and i had to ask a much younger friend of mine yeah use it poorly make other people around you suffer (laughs) Um, i think this is where we learn one of mark's motivations which is 
he intends to use the FBI to take out pretty much everyone above him at ADM so that he will be promoted. I feel like we just jumped a lot, but also this movie is so homogenous that like I kid I couldn't tell him. I mean, my note says, oh, so this is some weird power play that will surely not work out. So I'm like, I think we got some hint of that. Yeah, uh, well, sure. We'll go with it. At some point, he he does kind of like reveal that that is exactly, you know, was this the point where his wife was like, you're not well, Mark. That's that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? I've skipped a bunch of the meetings that they record. That's what I. Yeah. OK, so so Mark gets gradually better at spycraft and you know surreptitiously recording meetings as the fbi gathers evidence and yeah so eventually mark gets it into his weird little head that yeah so what's going to happen is all of the big guys are going to go down and i will be the only i will be the last man standing at adm they'll have to make me ceo and his wife correctly points out that that is 100 percent insane yeah I mean, the meetings are fine. They're, yeah. There's nothing, like, of analytical interest. Like, it's fun to watch, but... They bounce around between Asia and Europe. They're doing the same thing in both. And, like, yeah. Mark is... Mark, you know, switches between them by lying to the FBI some more. At one point, he says that, like, oh, no, there's a, there's a price-fixing investigation going on in Europe right now about concrete, so everybody's spooked. Which, that's reasonable. It would be reasonable if it's true. Yeah, yeah. There's a thing with, I guess it would be the DOJ, are like, hey, what you've given us is not enough to prosecute. Yeah, so so, I, I'm i very bad at the law, let mm-hmm. me just say. And I think probably <laughs> that doesn't come as a shock to most of you. But I do like my, you know, law podcasts. So I think there is an element of truth in this, like... It, it makes it much easier if, like, you have keywords like agreement on the record, but you don't need it. It just saves you a lot of time in trying to connect the dots and build what's called a mens rea, a, a criminal mindset. I don't even know if you need that for a, a white-collar crime. That's typically something involved with, like, assault and murder. But, yeah, so, like, building the the notion that, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt that this is what happened and this is, you know, they meant to do it. So this is 100% a crime with forethought and deserves the maximum punishment. It's easier if you have them actually say, so we agree, this will be the price in Europe. Yeah. I think that reasonable doubt is the big thing because the person for the DOJ is like, listen, it very well could be the defense that this is just hypothetical. It's just a discussion. Yeah. And okay. So, so that's not, I think for, I think it's that criminal cases require that, that burden of proof, and this would be a criminal case. So you would need to meet that. However, like that's not always the, you know, the level of burden or the standard of proof you're held to. I just, I don't, I didn't go to law school. I don't understand like where Mm -hmm. that line is drawn fully. So yeah. So, so, the attorney is like, yeah, I don't think this is enough. We need something a little more explicit. So they send Mark to another meeting where he actually tries to like, like, so, so they, they make this interesting point about how like they can't record in Japan, which I don't know if that's true, but sure. I mean, they can't not? set it up really. 
I mean, they can't bug the room, but they can send Mark in wearing a wire or like with a, an audio recorder in his briefcase. Yeah, but I think the video evidence was really helpful. It was, but also not necessary. Yeah. Anyway, they go to Hawaii. Yeah. That's, yeah. So, so they have it on quote unquote neutral ground, Hawaii, which if you've ever been to Hawaii, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, it is precisely midway between Asia and the U.S. And the population of Hawaii tends to reflect that. There are a lot of Japanese people living on Hawaii. Anyway, after this meeting, they get verbal agreement said. Yeah, they actually get the word agreement said. And people are like, what are you doing, Mark? But are they you eventually, not listening? Yeah, it's like, oh, you have a language problem? And like, how this wasn't a bigger red flag is beyond me. Because if I were in this criminal's position, and Mark's like, and we have a... It'd be like, out. Get out right now. <laughs> so now we're in... One, we're in 1995 now. Yeah. And it's time for the raid. They have their case, they can start making arrests. Yep, and they do. So they raid corporate headquarters, they raid houses, and they specifically raid... And this is this is something that the police, like when they use an informant, they will do. They raid the dinner that Mark and his boss and like all and everybody, they're having dinner out at a restaurant. They raid the restaurant and they pull Mark aside and like give him it, it give the appearance that he's getting a once over from them. But basically they don't arrest the senior VP or the senior guy. They basically just tell him like, hey. Just so you know, all of this shit is about to come crashing down on your head. We have all the warrants. We've already moved on most of the people involved in this. You're going down. And Mark is very excited by this because it's exciting. And he is an adult child. The raid has lovely music. It's very pleasant. Again, I, I tried my best, but I could not be drawn into the music. It's not this song, but it reminds me of Soul Bossa Nova, the song that plays at the beginning of the Austin Powers movies. Oh, delightful. That is delightful. Mark's not a good actor. Like, he's very indignant as at this mere sight of the FBI agents. Yeah, he way overplays his hand. And maybe it is the, the critic in me, especially with my background, I've just been like, okay, we know who the informant is, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's on the poster. Yeah, which we'll talk about the fucking poster and how it relates to this movie. Don't you worry. We get more confirmation that Mark's got a big fucking mouth. Yep. So apparently one of the agents was unable to apprehend a couple of the people that were on the list of must detain. And so he calls into the head office and instead of getting a hold of Bob and Brian, they get a hold of his boss and they find out that Mark told these people that there were going to be raids and oh boy, it's Bob and Brian's boss pissed. Yeah. So one thing that guy showed up very briefly in the movie, the one who Mark told mm -hmm. and he is, he was in the oceans movies. He was one of the people in the crew. Oh, was he? Nah. Yeah. I don't remember the actor that well, but I was like, oh, hey, it's that guy. I liked Ocean's Eleven, but, like, not the kind of movie I would want to watch more than once. And then Ocean's Twelve, like, was, to me, unremarkable. Maybe I should go back and, and re reassess 
He was also in iZombie, which is more where I know him from. That's neither here nor there. Yeah, so Mark told at least three people that they were going to be raided, and those three people did what any smart criminal would do and made themselves scarce on raid day. And by the way, at this point, the FBI is, they've been congenial towards Mark, and they've been like, well, you know, we're, we're, we're with you, we're, we're in this together, and then all of a sudden, they got kind of chilly. Which, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. We get a scene of what I refer to as a cabal storming at Mark's office. Yeah. So the FBI has told them, look, here's what's going to happen. They're going to come to you with a list of lawyers you can choose from. They're working for ADM. They're not working for you. They will hang you out to dry. Tell them you're seeking your own counsel and you're cooperating with the government. Nothing else. Yeah. Don't tell them anything else. Just tell them that. And they like keep drilling it into his head because they're starting to realize that he's unstable mentally and he needs like that reinforcement. So, of course, the company lawyer storms in and the boss is like, I just want to assure you that ADM is going to cover all legal fees, which should be an alarm bell in your head if you're an informant against ADM. Yeah, but he at least doesn't show it on his face. He doesn't show it on his face. And the attorney that they get is the guy that got Lieutenant Caffrey off for the My Lai massacre. Yikes. Yeah. Is that the one Mark talks to? The ADM one? Yeah. So someone else on the team, but not the one Mark directly talks to, is played by Clancy Brown, another actor I like. <laughs> there you go. A lot of There are a lot of uh, good and well-known actors in this movie. Yeah. It's a shame that the movie was just so fucking dull. But Mark's like, hey, if I tell you something, you can't tell the ADM guys, right? And he's like, well, what do you want to say? Yeah. Listen, A, you need a therapist, Mark. You need a therapist. B, you need a lawyer. Your lawyer, not an ADM lawyer. So clearly they talk for a long time. Yeah. And at the end, they come out, they talk to one of the ADM, like, VPs, and the other lawyers, and they say, Mark's going to find his own. I'm like, what did what did Mark actually say? My guess is he presented evidence, you know, that, that the company was actually fixing prices, which, why would the lawyers care? That's not, it's not their job to care. But the lawyers agree that, that it's best that he seek his own representation because he's at cross purposes with the company, I assume. So he goes and gets his own lawyers. Yeah. Two more actors I really like. <laughs> yeah. We get Tony Hale of Arrested Development and Veep fame. Delightful. And we get Richard Horvitz of voice actor fame from things like Invader Zim or The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. Ah, Invader Zim. Holy shit. Yeah, moving on from that. He voices Zim. Oh, I know. Okay. Don't want to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I I recognized that voice and it sent me places I did not want to go. He's such a distinct voice. Yeah. But that's away from what we're talking about. Yeah, so so he tells his his lawyers, Buster and Zim, everything. <laughs> everything. And they're like, All right, Mark, don't talk to the press. You can't talk about this to anyone. To or anyone, Mark. <laughs> don't talk about this to the FBI. Don't talk about this to anyone, Mark. 
And so he's like, all right, all right, all right. And then the, uh, the guy who got the murderers at Milai off finds a couple of checks that were forged. And this guy didn't get into forging checks because it's just going to get you in trouble eventually. So they call him up and, be, and they were like, hey, Mark, quick question for you. Does the name Nordkron Kemi mean anything to you? And like some, you know, Swedish name. And he's like, I'll have someone call you about that. <laughs> they hang up the like, phone. Okay, like, you do that. <laughs> we got him. We got him. Oh, this might actually be the reminder, at least in the filmmaker's eyes. Oh, you know what? You're right. Although it's way too close to the payoff. Yeah. It's not effective. Yeah. It's not really explained, you know, what the connection between this guy and this company and Mark are and why this has him dead to rights on a whole bunch of shit. But ADM comes to the government and impeaches the witness, impeaches their star witness by saying like, hey, you realize this guy's embezzled millions of dollars. And at the time, it, the number was sitting at like $2.2 million. The first instance we get, though, is he's talking with his FBI friends, mm-hmm. Bob and Brian. Oh, that's right. They're like, we can't talk about this to you. He's like, what if I just throw out some hypotheticals? And they're like, well, okay. He goes, well, what if an executive used a company car for personal purposes? And they're like, you know what? That's probably fine. I mean, it's not, but it's... And what if it was a plane? Less fine. Yeah, but like we're not going to prosecute. That's yeah. That that's that's some shit you like have to remunerate the company for. Yeah, or they're like that's IRS thing. That's not FBI. Yeah. yeah. And then he's like, but what if we got kickbacks? Okay. Well, <laughs> and that is where it starts to become clear what exactly has happened. Well, how much are we talking, Mark? And he says half a million dollars. Oh right. Okay. So the very next day, the the attorneys for ADM present the FBI with evidence that it's actually 2.2 million. Oh my god, it's... This gets Brian and Bob kicked off the case, because they they didn't do their due diligence about their star witness. Yeah, holy shit. Yeah. Something we didn't mention, Mark's lawyers said, don't talk to the press. And there's multiple instances where we see Mark being approached by press and not talking. But we do see him talking to press. So the very next scene is... I can't remember who it was, if it was the FBI or whether it was his lawyers, but somebody was like, well, who told the Wall Street Journal, Mark? Because apparently he went public with it. Oh my god, he's he's a mess. He's a mess, but also it might be kind of smart. So there, I hate this movie because it's kind of prescient. Steve Bannon recently tried to pull an informant by arguing that all the evidence in the case against him should be public, which would, among other things, taint the possibility of a fair jury pool, making his case more or less untriable. Oh, it's it, it, it's an insane thing to try to do, and it didn't work, but it was a thing that, that we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll Listen, get, we'll be public in due time. Yeah, yeah. Shut the fuck up, Steve. Oh, Lawyer team talking to Mark about his embezzling includes Pat Oswalt, another actor. <laughs> yeah. So, and the the figure, yeah, Pat Oswalt comes in, and I love Pat Oswalt. He's amazing. I do too. But the figure has ballooned again to five million dollars. Ay, good vault. 
And we're starting to get a little clarity on how the scheme actually works, because we also get a very brief scene where they chase down the guy that, that owes Mark big for getting him 25 grand over his starting. Andy Daly. Andy Daly, yeah. And they confront him, and it's unclear whether they pin the whole thing on him or whether they just tell the truth. There is a difference. But the scheme is essentially that Mark set up this company, Nordkron Kemi, under this pseudonym, this Swedish pseudonym, and would send ADM invoices for nothing. And then like they would cash the checks to Nordkron Kemi, and then those checks would be siphoned off into an offshore account for Mark. From there, you could just like pull it out, and it's more or less clean. It's money laundering. I saw a a news story that within the past, sometime within the past five years, this guy had apparently sent like quote unquote bills to like Facebook, Apple, Google, like these massive companies, mm-hmm. and they just pay it because like it was like maybe a few thousand. When you're that big, who gives a shit? And like he got, he eventually got found out. And I don't remember how it ruled. It might still be ongoing, but I remember seeing one sentiment that's like, hey, if those companies are not willing to like actually keep track of their expenses that way, he made that money fair and square. <laughs> Except he did you know. not, but I don't I, I don't want to characterize stealing from mega corporations yeah. as necessarily a bad thing. No. But I also legally cannot endorse that action. Yes. It is illegal. But whether or not it's moral... Yeah. Immoral uh, is a very different question from illegal. Yes. Oh, God, is it different. Here's another bunch of really short scenes. We also see Mark doing some really desperate stuff, I think, that might not quite be it. Whatever. Yeah. So he he does everything in his power to keep... Like, he gets that taste of that limelight, and he's like, this is what it's about, baby. But the limelight is not particularly kind to him because embezzlement is frowned upon by most people. Yeah. Hey, one more actor that I noticed. (laughs) One of the the lawyers at some point is Paul F. Tompkins, though a completely clean-shaven Paul F. Tompkins. That's true. Holy shit. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I was like, is that him? So, of course, I went on to IMDb. I will say, Tony Hale is a great lawyer in this yeah he he is competent he knows his stuff he carries himself i probably a bit more aggressively than i think i probably would with the fbi like lawyers don't necessarily have to get along and they don't have to pretend to get along but there is a level of cooperation that is inherent in these sort of things and it does it's not conducive to that relationship to be very shouty with each other or, you know, overly aggressive. Like, as a lawyer, you owe everything that you find in discovery to opposing counsel and vice versa. So, not sure what you're shouting about, man. Well, basically, they're like, okay, he gets no leniency because he stole millions upon millions. And he's like, you would not have a case for this price fixing without him. Yeah, that's true, but that's also you know, going to be written down in briefs. Like, yeah. you're just talking about what your cases are. I, I don't understand why you're you're having a fight about this in an office. Listen, I, that's got to be for the audience's benefit. Yeah, yeah, I, w- I, would, I would say so. We can move past that. But 
what comes out of that is that Mark is going to get about three to five years because he did embezzle quite a bit of money. The number has ballooned to 7.7 million. Yes. Oh my God. And he's like, no, I shouldn't get any time because I'm completely blameless. I was only acting under the direction of my superiors. I'm the victim here. He is such a victim complex. It's ridiculous. And like, if you're starting to see why this movie is a little bit prescient, you should. (laughs) That's, oh my God, I hate it so fucking much. We live in the dumbest fucking timeline. 2009's The Informant prefigured the entire 2021 milieu. Fuck, that sucks. <laughs> I don't know. Man. He, We see him in therapy, and we also see that he has apparently forged a letter from his therapist. Oh, now, because he has such a victim complex, he is alleging that Brian Shepard assaulted him. <laughs> Struck him with a briefcase, specifically. And this is something that he comes up with on the spot. He also just before that, fakes his own kidnapping. I ask you, why would you kidnap somebody and then just let them go if you haven't been paid? The answer is, well, what if it's just intimidation? Other ways to intimidate. It's Yeah, it's really fucking stupid. And he like, so claims stupid. that like, the car was so heavily modified that like you know he couldn't escape and, and they roughed him up a little bit, but not too bad. He complains, and I'm not making this up, like, he limps into the house, like, he tears the sleeve of his of his jacket, and I was like, oh, he's in mourning. <laughs> that's, a, that's a joke for me and Kyle. Yeah. So, he, like, tears the sleeve of his jacket and hobbles into his house. It, like, musses his hair a little bit. I was like, I got kidnapped, I got kidnapped, I got kidnapped. Oh, my leg, it's so cramped. Like, that's the extent of his injuries. I'm like, fuck yourself, Mark. This is a dumb little thing that comes up. Apparently, <laughs> apparently a reporter finds out that Mark's parents didn't die and he was not adopted. That was a lie he had been saying for his, basically his whole life. Well, his adult life. And the narration is quick to point out in this case that he read in Time magazine while he was doing his undergrad at Cornell, which is an Ivy League university. Did you know it was an Ivy League university? Nobody said I would get into an Ivy League university, but I did. That people are more sympathetic to orphans. So, yeah, I made up this thing about being an orphan, and then all of a sudden it kind of spiraled out of control, and I just went with it. Mark, you are in this position for this exact reason. Stop lying. That was the only other thing I think his wife did, is that he's talking at one point at the kind of the very end, after he's forged this letter from his therapist about Brian Shepard assaulting him, he sits down with Brian and he just, he gets caught in a lie and he keeps trying to dig his way out. And his wife says, stop lying. Yeah. You're, this is, this is not good for you. So that's a hard rap on the wife. Almost. Uh, it's a hard rap on anything that the I mean, wife. The movie's basically done. Yeah. So we go to a criminal trial in 97. The number is ballooned to $9 million that he's embezzled. It's absolutely fucking ridiculous. $9 million he's embezzled. In 90s money. Yeah, in, in late 90s money. So we're now in the stage in which like, I was in middle school. I had no interest in economics, politics, or law at the time. 
So I don't remember any of this. I was too busy trying to convince the girl I liked to take a second look at me and failing. But neither here nor there. Jessica, if you're out there, no. (laughs) No, actually, I'm good. I'm super good. (laughs) No, no one from middle school should remember me. Uh, Christine, if you're out there, please do not call me. So, yeah. The judge is like, you're not our usual felon. He is allowed to make a statement, and he makes it sound like he's quitting a job. Like, it sounds like he's going from here to an office party to celebrate, you know, whatever career stage comes next. It's true. The one nice thing is he says he's on medication, so he's like... Seeing things clearly now. And he apologizes. But also, like, it's clear that throughout this whole movie, he's not seen a therapist until it would provide him some legal cover. So, don't know about that therapist, man. He's a schemer. He's a schemer. Or is he? Or is he just dopey and, like, reacting to the situation as it happens? Or maybe both. It's unclear. And that is the beauty of this movie. We'll get there. We're almost done. You don't fake a kidnapping just on a whim. He does, though. Anyway. Sure. Yeah, so, so... He, he like case closed he's guilty goes away we get this kind of like very oh what is animal house ass ending where we get the text screen telling like how everybody kind of turned out but that's not the end we're almost done but we're not quite done right there's a framing sequence in which this is all the entire fucking movie is an appeal to clemency to george w bush in 2002 yeah which he does not receive by the by. Spoiler alert. He got nine years in prison, and he's now bald. So Bob, Special Agent Bob, helps him record this plea for clemency, and he drops it like, you know, if I hadn't started working with the FBI, I wouldn't have embezzled the $11 million. And Bob's like, wait, what? He's like, what? You said $11 million? He's like, okay. Wait, it's $11 million it? with like, interest. Yeah, he's uh, after he's like, no, you went down from $9 million. You just said eleven. He's like, uh interest and and bob's like is it nine or is it 11 and mark says pretty much the the point of the movie right there i don't know bob you tell me and then walks out roll credits roll credits okay what would you like to discuss about this whole thing okay i want to start off by saying that this movie is at once hopeful and cynical it's very grim while maintaining a positive moral message. And what I mean by that is pretty simply just that, yes, the senior executives at Archer Daniels Midland did face consequences. The man who embezzled $11 million and went down for nine of that got nine years in prison. The CEOs who stole way the fuck more from Everyone on Earth got three to five. To be clear, if I were to break into my neighbor's house and steal their TV, I might go for three to five. Granted, I do it on Rikers, not, you know, whatever fancy-ass rich boy prison they went to, but it is not nearly enough. Like, they did get punished. Justice was done, but the moral equation that was upset by these crimes was 100% not balanced. And that is, that's a grim part of this movie. So 
in a way, embezzling, it's stealing from your employer, right? Yeah, yeah. For the sake of this analogy. Sort of. So when you get to the point where embezzlement is really an option, you're not really in the standard, like an employee-employer relationship as you and I would understand it. You're at least middle management. You are the company. So you're not stealing from your employer so much as you're stealing from the people who buy your products. Okay. The reason I bring this up is I'm sure you're aware of the complaints against our justice system in regards to theft, how Mm -hmm. the difference in prosecution if you steal $100 from your employer versus if your employer steals $100 from you. Yep. And so Citizens United, which was the ruling that essentially said that for the purposes of free speech, corporations are people, did not apply to criminal law. It didn't need to. So I've said before on this podcast and elsewhere many times that the police are not there to protect you. They're there to protect capital. So violations of capital are always going to be treated much more harshly than violations of the person perpetrated by capital. It's a two-tier justice system, even if we don't, like at bare minimum, if all else were equal, if our justice system were completely racially unbiased, unbiased against gender, etc., all of those other factors, it would still be two-tiered because it's just, it's not there for us. It's there for capital. So none of this is surprising. Right. So one of the things that I, I thought was really clever about this movie was that there is a progression, and we were talking about this earlier before we started the recording, there's a progression in Mark's narration. It starts off as this goofy, free associative, it's like reading Finnegan's Wake. It means whatever. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. And yeah, and and as the plot progresses and we realize that Mark isn't this goofy, hapless bastard that's caught up in, in a machine designed to crush him to make other people rich, and we, we start realizing that Mark is the other people who are getting rich, the narration changes in its like qualitatively changes to more justifying the reasons he's doing what he's doing more than more than just like goofy shit that's just kind of an aside. There was another point that I wanted to make that I've kind of lost the thread of. On the topic of his narrations, one thing I pulled from this movie, which I found it a little tricky to analyze because while this is a film and you can craft things how you want it is still based on real life and real life doesn't always have neat messages nope but one thing is mark talks a couple times about like life being very unpredictable and i don't know this this movie kind of demonstrates that it's like oh hey you don't really know what's coming next yeah so the other thing so we get the sense that mark and the others at adm have been punished. I don't know what the other guys at ADM were up to, are up to currently. Mark is back in the C-suite of major corporations. They just let him come back. Was it while he was in prison? Or no, did... no, no, no. It was after. Like, he was released okay. in, like, 2009. Because it said he still hadn't received the pardon, and I was like, is that mean? Yeah, no, he didn't receive a pardon, so, like, that's the thing. Like, if you receive a pardon, that conviction just kind of, like, that's you're, what you're, that meant. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he was hired on as a C-suite executive, 
with a conviction for embezzlement on his record. We are meant to believe that capitalism is a virtuous cycle somehow. All evidence to the contrary. Yeah. Or possibly a meritocracy. Uh, nope. Absolutely The fact not. of the matter is, if you're a shark, you'll find your way to the top because that's what sharks do. Sell and you'll cheat. Hmm? What's that? Sorry, that was... I said, sell me this pen, the thing from oh, yeah. Wall Street. That was actually really funny. Or the 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 thing with the, the newspaper salesman on the phone. It's like, I think he just sold a newspaper. He's like, really? You want to buy? Nah, I, res- I subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. Click. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> yeah, so this is the system. This is based on a true story. Archer Daniels Midland did pay $100 million in antitrust fines for price fixing this obscure chemical. That is in everything. They've stolen from all of us for our entire lives. They continue to do so. And we're meant to believe that this is a virtuous cycle. That is what is grim about this movie. And the fact is, these people largely don't get punished. Do you think this one guy was all the criminal element or this one case was all the criminal element in the C-suites of every company that does this shit? No. Get a job, man. That's not how reality works. I read on IMDb that one of the lawyers depicted in this movie mm-hmm. in, I believe it was 2018, was on the defense counsel for Donald Trump for his collusion case. Oh, surprise, surprise. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's the other thing. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So throughout this movie, we see a progression of the grift. It goes from like this... I don't know, this this sad, pathetic, weird, you know, longing to do something that is considered traditionally masculine. You wanted to be 007. You wanted to be a spy in an era where the Cold War is over. There is no more Soviet Union to spy on. And then it progresses as this guy finds out that he's out of his depth and that his past is relevant to his current work. And like all of this shit starts to come tumbling down on top of him he realizes that he's out of his depth and he loses dignity entirely about it multiple times through this thing, compounding it with lies and aggression and attempts to turn the tables. And it's just the American far right. It's Donald Trump. It's everybody in his fucking orbit. It's the entire far right ecosystem. Is that jackass who called on to like the, the president's holiday fucking telethon thing and was like let's go brandon and is now whining that he's being canceled for it it's like white boys are figuring out what consequences are for the first time and ever and boy do they not dig it i can't say i blame them consequences suck but (laughs) yeah but like it's the shit that we the rest of us live with all the time yes yes (laughs) yeah and that and that is like that's why this movie is grim to watch because it prefigures what's going to happen to these assholes in 10, 15, 20 years. Some of them will be in trouble, but it won't affect them long-term. They'll come back. They'll do other things. They'll move on with their lives. And we'll just have to forget it happened. And then it'll happen again. What you're saying, though, reminds me of why this is kind of interesting as a story for filmmaking is... The people who will twist and turn and try every possible angle to get their want. And it is interesting when it's not real life. Yeah. It has no effect. 
to watch that play out and see like, oh, who's actually going to come out as the proverbial victor? Yeah, like it is interesting to see this bedwetter Kaiser Soze try his goddamnedest and then fail. Mm -hmm. Wish it happened more harshly in reality. Anything else on discussion? Please. This has been Sophia's communist corner. Yeah, I got one last thing. Don't trust corporations or the government. Yeah, both are bad, kids. It, it's fair to say, like, I heard a joke recently that, like, in the same way that Canada is three oil companies in a trench coat, America is three weapons manufacturers in a trench coat. Like, that's all our government is. And I just like, oh, God damn it. Oh, God damn it. It's funny because it's true. Fuck. Yeah. All right. Anything you want to say that's not trying to analyze this movie? This was the most boring, badass movie I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was going to get you with Bedwetter Kaiser Soze, but apparently that's what got it. That's what got you. Bedwetter Kaiser Soze was very good, but then I was thinking like, oh yeah, Kaiser Soze does do that sort of twist and turn thing. Hmm. How about you? Do you have any... any uh two-second non-analyticals? Yeah, I like this movie, but it's very frustrating because the twists and turns are, at the core, it's the same twist every time, which is that Mark lied. Yeah. And the nature of the lie is different, which is why it's not the most boring thing imaginable. Yeah. But at its core, it's the same thing all the time. It's like, oh, Mark lied again. Yeah, like, it's all money shenanigans, so, like, it's not high drama, but it is high stakes. That is also the other thing, though, because he lies so much, you never know what's real in the movie, and that's kind of cool. Yeah, we find ourselves in a bit of a memento situation. Yeah, or I was going to say a beautiful mind. Oh, that's that, a yeah. different... Well, I mean, but that, that's also that's also kind of relevant, because, like, what is real? What is fake? Or, oh, this is a thing that's been covered in several other media. Like, you know, pick one. The unreliable narrator, you yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, like... The nature of reality being undermined by the narrator is is very interesting. So let's get into ratings. Enjoyability. Holy fucking dog shit. Okay, so one is worst thing I've ever seen. Ten is amazing. Best, amazing best picture. I'm going to give this probably... This is so complicated for me. Because, like I said, it's the most boring, badass movie ever. So I'm going to give it a 4.5. I didn't have fun. But I have thoughts. I took a very different stance. I thought it was basically a good movie, but it's not, like, amazing. I could watch it a few more times, but, like, it's really not going to be in my top ten choices ever. Mm. So I'm saying, like, a seven. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, so obscurity. I think this is kind of on the lower side. I agree. I'm thinking, like, mm, three and a half. I will. I will go with that. So this was sort of... In the same vein as, do you remember Hail Caesar? Yes, I actually really like Hail Caesar. I know a lot of people didn't. So I have, I was very drunk when I saw Hail Caesar, so I don't remember it. But I, I do recall it having like this sort of independent movie vibe, but made by a, a major studio and sort of like marketed with this, you know, offbeat almost indie vibe. So it, it didn't draw as many people yeah. because that is somewhat off-putting to the mainstream crowd. If if I may, do you like Hollywood movies that just jack themselves off about how much they love Hollywood? No, I don't. <laughs> then don't watch Hail Caesar because that's... 
They're like, okay. hey, wasn't Hollywood amazing all no. the time? No, it was not. <laughs> no. But yeah, so yeah, I would say it has that that vibe where it was like, we know that the mainstream does not appreciate independent cinema or that like independent cinema vibe, but fuck it, we did it anyway. Yeah. So yeah, I think probably three and a half is, is it was a major studio picture. As far as I can tell, it wasn't like widely remarked upon. It didn't make a big splash. Yeah. So yeah, I'll go with that. If you want like a real obscure Matt Damon movie, there's the Adjustment Bureau. I feel like that's not as obscure though, because like Really? I mean honestly I saw one commercial for it and I was like, what? And then never bothered watching it, never heard about it again. <laughs> so I think the the trailers were primarily in banner ads and like on mm. the internet. It was not widely promoted on television, but they pushed hard on the internet. Okay. And I feel like granted most of the movie's budget went into effects instead of like marketing. Okay. That's fair. It, before we finish up, you were going to talk about the poster? Yes. Okay. So the poster. So, so okay. Intertextuality comes in a bunch of different flavors, and it's basically how different texts relate to each other. So the, the poster for this movie, that's called paratext. It's like things that are related specifically to this movie and don't have a whole lot of value outside of that relation. So the, the poster is this like, orangish yellowish background and it has matt damon with his tie flipped over his shoulder and he's kind of like starstruck gazing mouth a gap into the middle distance high above the head and and it gives you the sense and it's the informant exclamation point the informants so this sort of like it gives you this impression that this is going to be a goofy slapstick comedy and then we get this and just like, I want to mail Steven Soderbergh a turd because of this. Oh, he didn't make the poster. No, he didn't. But he, somebody allowed that to print and somebody, and, and nobody said anything about it. Like, nobody was like, no, I feel like that's the wrong vibe for this movie. It gives you, it gives you an impression that this is going to be Austin Powers, but in business. And it's not. I wonder what Austin Powers but in business would look like. That would be amazing. Hollywood, get on that. I'll uh, I'll take I'll, I'll take 20 points on the back end. 20 points. <laughs> no, that's a lot. That's a lot. 12. Yeah. As we wrap up our episode, we end with our pop culture pop out, a piece of pop culture we've been interested in as of late. I know Sophia is very excited to talk about hers. Yeah, but let's let you go first, Kyle. Cool. I have been listening recently to a podcast called D Comedy. It is a brother and sister who rewatch and review Disney Channel original movies. Okay, okay. Yes. Sophia, you were, I take, a bit older than the target audience when DComs became a thing. Um, there was a Disney Channel when I was a kid, when I was the target audience for it. It was a premium channel, and, like, you'd get like a free week in the summer. Okay. So I was, oh boy. Okay. So when I was a Disney channel target audience kid, they were running kids incorporated. Yeah. I don't even know what that is. Nope. <laughs> no. Well, one does. Yeah. So I was, I was a little older than that. Yeah. Yeah. 
brother and sister. The younger brother is, I believe, about my age. So, like, I very much understand their perspective from, like, a generational standpoint. So it's very fun for me to listen to them talk about it. They have, it's very fun hearing them back and forth. They get along pretty well. (laughs) It's it's very funny. One thing that's a little annoying is they only do one episode a month. But, you know, it's a side thing. So let them do as they do. Yeah. So that sounds interesting. My pop culture pop out is, and this will come as a surprise to exactly no one, the Matrix Resurrection. Resurrections, plural. The Matrix, Resurrections. It is, as with any addition to an existing and beloved canon, it has sharply divided fan opinion. I typically, I think that fan opinion or fandom opinion comes in three phases. First off, like phase one is this is an affront to the holy canon and must be destroyed, as must be anyone who dared act in this fucking travesty, how dare you offend my nostalgia like this. Then phase two was like in a, in a year or two, people would be like, yeah, it was all right. I mean, it's not my thing, but like, I don't, I don't really care. And phase three is hell yeah, put it on bro. So the performative outrage we're getting from the wrong set in the fandom is exhausting. And we know where it goes. And I just, I wish they just skip ahead because it's a fine movie. I'll have more thoughts on Queering House directly. My approach, I've not seen it yet. My approach is, do we need a fourth Matrix movie? We absolutely do not. Everything was wrapped up at the end of the third one. I don't know why they decided to make, well, I don't know why Lana Wachowski decided this needed to be made, but it did. It got made, rather, and I don't hate it. Like, it's fine. It's good, even. Okay. It's different. Like, I, I will I will spoil a little bit. I, no, no plot spoilers, but like, I will say that my thoughts on it are, you know, The Matrix has largely been about aesthetics. And the aesthetics here have shifted slightly to keep up with the times. If you did a The Matrix 1999 kind of look nowadays, it would look very strange and pathetic and like you're very old people trying to appeal to young people. And that's not a good look for anybody. So the the aesthetics have been updated. I think they are better than the original. Go see the movie. It's really good. Okay. Sophia, where can people find you online? Well, I have a link tree in the description, but the big hits are I'm on tw- I'm always on Twitter at Hamilcarinina, H-A-M-I-L-C-A-R-E-N-I-N-A. I am on Quora and Medium at Sophia Elena Maestatreet. I am on Instagram at Sophia H underscore MDT. Don't find me on Facebook. You find me on Facebook, I will find you in real life, and it won't be fun. Yeah, that's me. Kyle, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at Kyle the Giggles. I'm on Tumblr and Letterboxd under Hebrew Hammer. Uh, yeah, that's me. I don't do much there, so whatever. But if you'd like, there is a link at the bottom of our show notes where you can leave a voice message to... Show up in a future episode where you can leave a pop culture pop out. You can leave your thoughts on a movie we've discussed or perhaps the next one. But if you want to talk about the next one, Sophia, what are we watching? Uh, What are we watching? I can't remember the name. That's okay. We're watching a movie called Pilgrimage. And as I recall, we're going to have a delightful guest on to discuss this with us. In fact, the 
one guest so far who has left a letterbox or a, a message for us, Danielle, who left us the live reaction to Sorry to Bother You. Yeah, so that'll be a lot of fun. I'm very excited. Danielle is, Danielle is uh, you know, her recording was a delight and I can't wait to meet her. She's quite the character. But if you like this show, please subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes, tell your friends. Apparently you can rate on Spotify now, so give us a rating there. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. This is what I hear. It might have been sarcasm. I don't know. Like, the, the person I heard it from is incredibly irony poisoned, so that might have been sarcasm. Get a t-shirt printed saying, hey, listen to this podcast. Skywriting is acceptable. Exactly. But we will catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Have a nice day. Bye. Bye.